Hello and welcome to 7 Peaks Speaks. Today's talk is about migrate, automate and scale your business into the cloud with Giorgio, Nicholas and Craig who give you insights sponsored by Alibaba Cloud. Enjoy the talk. Okay, good afternoon and evening again. Uh, okay, I am here to uh, speak about uh, migrate uh, your uh, business uh, in, in the cloud. So uh, this is myself. Uh, I work uh, in uh, IT from uh, 2006. I cover these different uh, roles. And uh, I am uh, here in Seven Peaks uh, as a tech lead of the cloud solution. This is our certification for our cloud team in uh, Azure and uh, in AWS. And this is the agenda for today. I give you, I divide the agenda on uh, two main topics. And uh, I will show you two cases from uh, our customer. Of course, I cannot say the name of the customer, and uh, I need to hide some information, but I try to give you the uh, meaning and the benefit uh, and all the other feature that uh, the, our customer take uh, from the uh, cloud migration or migrate their business into the cloud. Okay, first point of the agenda. Why should migrate to the cloud? Scalability is uh, something that uh, belongs uh, to the resource allocation, physically and not physically. So what I mean, the hardware and the people to manage that. More is automated, less people do you need, less cost, less cost you should have. Mobility, what I mean as a mobility, the downtime. Often when you are uh, in production uh, or for example for some kind of product, some kind of public product that uh, is uh, have uh, an unpredictable traffic, for example like the Black Friday in uh, Lazada, for example, the downtime in the cloud uh, is tried to reduce to zero. So the expression, the downtime, is only by you because you are doing something that can be automated in the cloud and the downtime should be zero or 0 0.1, okay. Affordability, what I mean as affordability is pays as you go. Pay how much resource, services, or software are you using? This is the, now the standard model for every public cloud. The solution of the inside, the private cloud, don't have this functionality developed so well until you don't have a team that manage all the issue regarding the uh, hardware team, security, and so on in your private cloud. The security, this is uh, the most uh, important thing here. The cloud, uh, when you, you need to manage a cloud or the public cloud provider, manage for you the, secu the security about the procedures, processes, and compliances. 
you can go in AWS Azure and Google Cloud and you can find the list of the compliances that maybe you are looking for. They already cover for you. It's not you that need to think allocated budget for that people a resource to do that. They already give to you the compliances, explain you how you use uh, their service to be compliant, and uh, hopefully develop your what you have to develop. The looking for about control or better the measure what's happened that is the illusion of the control. So looking for what's happened now. I have my account in my uh, AWS or uh, Google or Azure. I want to understand what's up now. It's not a, a, a ideally is, is the unified dashboard to see both the uh, behavior of the resource and uh, the money and the effort that now I'm spending to do that. Okay, I give you some data about uh, the migration to the cloud. 93% in this year of the enterprise have a multi-cloud strategy. Multi-cloud means that they have uh, a service in AWS and other services uh, into Azure or Google Cloud. They choose to migrate several kind of uh, service into the specific cloud because this, this kind of cloud give them the best uh, return of the investment. It's not strange in the enterprise have uh, this model. I choose uh, Azure because it's integrated with my Active Directory example. I choose uh, Google because uh, my not legacy application works on the Kubernetes. Kubernetes born into the uh, Google. They are a lot, tons of uh, experience, uh, tons of service that help to do that. Or I go in uh, AWS because I want the, for example, some kind of uh, interface uh, with uh, integration of the system that I already have or the part of the legacy that I need to host. It's not strange. 87% as uh, a hybrid cloud strategy, multi-cloud and public and private cloud. 87%, this is this number, honestly, when I find this number, uh, this scared me a lot because this uh, means that a lot of company have something uh, on-premise because they have the data center before and they start to migrate in the cloud what should be in the cloud and this is a lot and the last is 20 of enterprises spend more than 12 million of US dollar per year into the public cloud so this number the laser okay this number justify this number per year. This is something when I see this data, I <laughs> say, okay, we are on the right track. <laughs> How to migrate to the cloud? Now I explain to you why. I give you the main reasons to migrate your business to the cloud. 
Now I explain, not in the detail of uh, the uh, development or the infrastructure team, but I give you the some kind of guideline tips or procedure to move to the cloud. Forgot the classic model of the data center. The data center is the base of the cloud. The cloud already has the data center. Think to the service, not to the infrastructure. I need the web published, my web page published in the SharePoint. Stop. This is what I want. I don't need to think, okay, I need to do that, I need to route that, I need to have this network, I need to have this storage, and so on. I want my page on SharePoint. Stop. I don't need to think as the old way. I need to divide this, it should be that, should be that, should be that. This is one of the, uh, let me say, common practice, sometimes here in Thailand or with our customer international, that they have a mind set or better. Their teams, technical team, have the mind set into the old data center that they have. When you step to the cloud, you are in, a, let me say, in another world. They manage this for you. It means that they work for you and you start to work again on the stuff that they already done. Do the job twice. Solution focus pattern. Choose if you don't have, train your team, train your infrastructure to be cloud ready. If you cannot afford this kind of expertise, knowledge, or technicality, choose the right solution focus partner. As example as before, I want my web page on SharePoint. I want to create that. There is a, in uh, all the cloud, uh, you can see the well-architected framework. There is the main principle about how should be your cloud solution. You need to cover the cost optimization, uh, reliability, scalability, security, what I say you before. And I want my page on the SharePoint. <laughs> the control management, cost, time, and resource. The first triangle of the project management or product management is the choose the right way or your way. Right is a bit wrong. Choose the right way for you to manage this uh, page into the SharePoint. I don't want, I need want only one page. I don't need a cluster. Maybe one SharePoint server is enough for one page. Okay, we can think if after all my employees have the page on SharePoint. But we start with the first one, my page. Compliances. I don't stay here to enumerate all the possible compliances. I enumerate only the, the two beasts, the GDPR and the, the PDPA. Um, I want only spend a few words over these the two guys here. Uh, the GDPR in Europe, after one year that the GDPR was uh, ratified by the 
European Commission, the, the commission dedicated to the Czech find a lot of company that need to pay because they, their data, they store the data in not GDPR compliances. This means that after 12 months, there is people, the, the total amount of the fee is like 2 billion of euros. Is a, is a lot. So the total, total, not only one single company. This uh, is uh, something that let you should be start to you thinking about hey, how I store my sensible data, where is my password, <laughs> where is my email, where is my phone number, first name, last name, address, and so on. Okay. I started to see the condition and the reason that I showed you before during uh, the time. Okay, start with the uh, scalability and mobility. This is the, this graph that I take from the CIB research that is was sponsored, this, uh, this uh, search, this uh, survey was sponsored by AWS itself in 2018. So one year ago. This uh, track, this line, a pretty exponential one, show you when born the Lambda and the starting of the serverless computation. When started the Azure and when started the Google Cloud function. This is the trend from 2015 until last year, July of, of last year. This what's happened in June 2020. There is uh, the main serverless uh, container solution here, and you can see what is most used by the people. I left the detail to my colleague Nicola to speak about this guy, but I want only show you how much the company, the enterprises, and the people start to develop according the re recent uh, cloud uh, solution and architecture. The affordability. I take this uh, image by the public uh, EDG cloud survey of this year. So is uh, maybe the situation can be changed. Okay. The question is, uh, what have been the biggest challenge or obstacle for your organization ability to take full av advantage of the public cloud resource, more or less, the overall? What they spend a lot is control the cloud cost. How, many, how much money I put on the cloud and why I put this money? Guys, is here. We are here. The beast is here. Data privacy and security challenge. I need to entrust the security, but the security should be not a, an obstacle for my people to work on my service. Otherwise, I destroy the service that I have. I reduce the uh, demand of the uh, functionality that I provide to my user. 
Securing governments and compliance is 30%. So I spend a lot of to protect, but I need to spend also a lot of time to be compliant. Managing the cloud resource is here. Is all this number, you, you, you can see, this is the big, the, the, the big trend is here, the last four. All this kind of stuff is uh, tiny separated because uh, all these uh, imply these two guys here. If I want to be secure and if I want a monitoring or a control over my cloud, uh, I have to take uh, some kind of operation. And more or less, this is the trend of this year. Maybe tomorrow change. Okay, this is uh, taken from um, the cloud security report by cybersecurity. What this uh, number means, this number means that I have that if I do that. Fast time to deploy. The security should be not an obstacle to deploy faster my code. A lot of time, okay, I use the password of admin because I need to do that. No. Or I need to access uh, in the database uh, as uh, admin. Uh, no. This means that something is uh, doesn't, the system has a bug but not the system in, in terms of software, the system in terms of procedure or process to guarantee your security. Cost saving. Faster I deploy before I have start my uh, return of the investment period. Less time I spend to deploy, less time I spend to develop, less time I don't need to pay my people to do something and put them into a needed activity. My business need, need a required activity. Reduce the effort around patch, uh, patches, uh, upgrade uh, of the software. The I like uh, to also to the cloud team to say that. Don't do that. Why? Because if you move this kind of feature into the cloud, and this is the phrase that I like, Google, Azure, OAWS works for you. Works for you. Someone big work for you. They have a tons of people to think about that. So let them go. This is something that you can rely to them. Delegate to them. The infrastructure is already tested. Your code maybe should be tested more time. They already done. When you can click some functionality, they did for you before. And we can trust according to their quality control. <laughs> okay, and this is, I don't enter uh, so much in the detail of this because here we speak about uh, the user, the visibility of the what the user are doing and what is the system, what the system are doing. How is the regulated the access the, uh, to the my application or the location that I have? As location here can is expressed as a data center location or the location as region, physical region that you deploy your code, the, your application. I'm sorry. 
your data, your workload into the into the cloud. This is uh, is the matter of this discussion, and uh, meet uh, the cloud compliance uh, expectation. This is uh, when I say is referred to when I say right is right for you. Don't start to use this service, and this service don't fit your context, because otherwise you need to spend more time. You need to create workaround patches and so on. At, at the end, you don't receive all the benefits of the uh, this specific cloud service. Okay, now customer case number one. Sorry for uh, anonymize and confidential. I tr I put some kind of uh, naming, uh, fancy name from paper to the cloud. The this customer A or Alice have uh, their business focus uh, on tons of paper. When we went to the customer side for the first time, we go in their office and I see a lot of uh, um, scaffolding, let me say scaffolding, for store the paper. B huge folder full of paper that have a meaning for them and the office is the wall of the office is fully covered. My question, my first question is, if I need to go in the bathroom, where is the bathroom? <laughs> where is the indication to go to the bathroom? They cannot put that because all the wall or the slogan of the company or something like that, the motivational phrase, they don't have space because they are storing all these kind of paper. And I, I, I think that in the cellar there is other archive of this uh, paper. So our goal was digitalize uh, the paperworks. We automate the data generation because this data, this, this paper, should be converted uh, into a digital format and from this digital format extract the data. We, uh, by our partner, we add also the machine learning over this data. Because we say, sorry guys, at the end uh, you have this uh, public, you have this uh, report, uh, forecast, or whatever. Can we apply some machine learning system to, to help you at least uh, to make a sense in this data? They say, okay. The on paper or on digital format, when someone produces this digital format, they share the same file from the top level until the bottom. So all the people potentially can store the data of the, uh, of the company. And honestly, I don't want. <laughs> Integration with the post process. The, the all the paperwork uh, is at the beginning of uh, their process and procedure for sale, marketing, uh, uh, development, and business uh, um, activities. So we integrate uh, the solution that exit from uh, the, the, the data that uh, stay on the paper, in, uh, integrate uh, the solution with the, with the step after of uh, the paper. Okay, at the end of the story, years 
boost for all the procedure. Okay, the step number one is done. What is our boost? A lot. Sorry, I cannot see the number. So, okay, it's something good. Thank you very much. <laughs> Security enhancement. The admin can see all, the bottom people can see only their part, because they, this is their visibility. All the managers are happy because they can see, they don't no need to think about how my employer can treat this data, how they can stall or whatever. Okay, this is the data that they can see, this is the data that you can see, stop, done, it's good in that way. Less effort for the entire process. It's all digital, there is all the automation that also Greg, my, uh, my colleague next to me, will explain to you. And uh, of course, they have more time for them. Productivity extension, what's happened? Okay, we released the, 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 the first phase, we enter in the second, and uh, during one of the meeting to speak about the second phase, uh, um, on in the, uh, during the break, we say there is uh, someone that uh, asks us, uh, Seven Peaks, do you know that we are now, we are going to play with our data? I say, hey guys, <laughs> play with your data. What, what do you mean? They, their process was full optimized that they remove all the issues that before they have, and now they have time to think and play with their data about something other else. How boost, for example, how optimize some number that belongs to another department. Is, uh, say, we play with, uh, with our data, huh? Sorry? <laughs> okay, and this is for us was uh, one of the uh, huge victory because this is one of the first and huge feedback that we make good and better our work. So we did a good job. Okay, the customer case number two, from server to PAS, uh, platform as a service. Once upon time, there is a data center, and uh, they move this uh, data center by a technique that is called lift and ship. Physi not physically the hardware or the server, lift. Sorry, there is the rack. Plug off and bring it in the cloud. It is a process of uh, moving the uh, virtualized the server and push it to the cloud for not legacy and legacy solution. So this is the situation that we find. We say, okay, some, according our scope of work, there are the, uh, some solution that uh, can be moved in the uh, platform as a service. First of all, they want some application and uh, second at all, they want some integration with this application. Why? Because uh, for before, the application was uh, into the data center. So if one application uh, need to speak, if Alice need to speak with Bob, need to travel or transit by Charlie, Dalton, uh, and uh, other people, to be secure and manage that. Unfortunately, Mr. X and Mrs. Y 
is not the only one that should be manage all the network traffic, the storage, the server allocation, the energy, AC, and so on. So for them, before was pretty impossible or spend a lot of time to let speak Alice with Bob. The data storage, they have uh, a lot of that. They store a lot of data. And moving to the uh, platform as a service, the, the database uh, scale automatically and they store, can store more data than before. This is the goal, the scalability. Before, this application run on the server. When this application starts to be critical, what they are doing? Take another server, upgrade the RAM, disk, CPU, and so on, and uh, restart the application and hope that this new server works. Security. Mickey Mouse can enter here. Okay, let me put in this way. They have a huge, or they did a huge mind and approach shift. They don't think more about the infrastructure routing storage. They think about the service. I want my page in SharePoint. My employee should have their page in SharePoint. For them, uh, this means how many servers I, I need to build the cluster of the SharePoint, how many data, how many hard disk, how many storage I need to allocate, how many loon on the, data, on the disk array I need to allocate, and so on. They no, don't think anymore about that. Now they think about how much is the responsive of SharePoint, and if SharePoint now is the right server, right solution, I'm sorry. Simplification of the effort. Before there is Miss, uh, Mr. X, uh, Mrs. Y, and maybe Miss Zeta. Now the, the team are responsible for their application and for the integration of their application. So if uh, Alice needs to speak with Bob, the, the manager of Alice go directly to the manager of Bob. Hey, uh, sorry, you need to expose to endpoint. No, I don't want it. But they can speak in that way. Management improvement. No need to speak with three million of people. It's only to, to manager that speak together. And maybe their team leader and four people done. The solution is applied. After we discover, we propose them to move their legacy application as a software as a service, SAP, uh, Oracle uh, products, and so on. If you have some question, okay, feel free. Otherwise, I'm done here. This is our, I hope that I try to express uh, our experience to you. What is uh, the main goal for the migration of the cloud? And I hope that you are able to uh, formulate your solution with uh, this uh, short guideline. Uh, so, okay, this is our CEO, our CTO, and this is the end of my uh, presentation. Who is the next, Nicola or Greg? Greg, Greg where is Greg? 
Okay. Uh, okay, okay. Guys, um, I give uh, to Greg the time to, <laughs> to have uh, this technical operation. Um, when you think to move in the cloud, it seems easy, but I s we suggest all the time think about the solution, focus on the solution that you want, not how do, is why first. Indeed, indeed, this is my first point of my slide. Why should I move in the cloud? Second, how? I don't give you the technicality. I give you a sort of guideline to follow. And I hope uh, that you can have some benefit uh, for, uh, for your case. OK, thank you very much, Greg, uh, to be here. He is the next uh, speaker. Hello. Welcome. Okay, let's get started. So I am here to discuss a little bit more about uh, automation in business. Quick intro, I am Craig, as you see here. Um, I've been in Seven Peaks for a while, looking at UX, UI, moving into business, and looking more into how we manage projects. And uh, yeah, we've done a lot in the last maybe year where we were looking at how we automate. But we're looking at business process automation, which is digital transformation. Today, it's process automation, not the same thing. Definition is the ability to orchestrate and integrate tools. However, it's a bit more than that. It's looking at how we mitigate risk, how we make things easier, work as a team, how we look at our flows and processes internally when we build projects, how we operate between client and ourselves. One of the examples is a hiring process. It always starts with staff. We can look at staff requirements. We can fulfill project requirements from staffing levels. Hopefully, we'll have success. Project management, again, something we're touching on a lot here, is how do we look at uh, the overview of projects. How do we look at you know, what kind of staff we need, when we need them, the workloads, the delegation, and then how do we end up planning so we can end up with <laughs> success, hopefully, um, and how do we drag that out over not just the first sprint, we're looking at second sprint, third sprint, and again, a project is not just one time, it's multiple time frame. Now, we also need to remember that we have QA. QA is something most people forget. We just assume it's tests. But when we look at process automation, we have to make sure that when we develop, we also include things like regression testing. How do we make it easy for a business to not just build, but how do we then test that, reiterate, make progress, and then continue so that we can push a product that makes sense? no bugs, higher success. Now, I went through that quick, quick, so we can look at an example from Seven Peaks without naming names. <laughs> Nobody will be here, so it's okay. Okay, so we're gonna call it Project X. This is not the movie, so we don't need to worry about getting drunk or anything. But uh, in this example, this is a project we've had for a while. It's uh, B2B eventually span into B2C. 
e-commerce back office, so we have multiple portals. We have third-party pages that can be accessed with different tokens and keys, and it's primarily desktop. So we had a one focus. We didn't need to worry about mobile responsiveness. We didn't need to worry about any of uh, the angle. So this is a long-running project, about two years. It started out as mainly e-commerce. We wanted a simple website for this client where their customers can log into the system. Purchase products, check out. Really, really, really simple. However, this is a project that also grows and expands. So over the last couple of years, we've migrated this to uh, encompass new business requirements. This has taken a toll on us as a business because we have to look at how do we manage this? How do we work with teams over a long period of time? And how do we integrate a process that saves you know, energy, it saves us focus, so we can pick the right angle, the right features, and progress forward. So one of the things that, <laughs> in the last two weeks, <laughs> we've had to monitor usage. This is something that people often forget. We have to look at usage. When we build, it's not just the building process. We have to try and figure out a way so we can rely on a system to monitor what we're doing, right? So if we build a software release it, we have to also know when something doesn't work. Quite often we rely on someone going checking or a client reporting a bug, uh, even customers sending in lots of emails complaining, ah, oh, I can't check out. If we have monitoring usage, we can actually look at what happens and when. We can look at how we notify people, in particular the team, so project leads, management, if we want to look at specific people in the team. We have to connect the dots to make this happen. So we can, in this case, we can look at error logs and server instant status. So if something goes down, we need to know before the client does so we can understand what happens. We can dig deeper in, get the information so we can provide a solution before it becomes a bigger issue. Hopefully, this will never happen, but it most likely will, in particular, when you're scaling a product. If you have a point in the product development cycle where you will go two, three months without actual development, then most likely you will have time to look at something like this. Performance indicators, most underrated tool for development process. A lot of people assume these KPIs are for sales, they're for business management. In our case, we can start developing towards a KPI of our own. So this might be processes that happen on a regular basis we know are dependent on other things. In this example, we're looking at things like orders. We know this platform, you know, we can almost, within a reasonable doubt, pick certain processes like ordering, checkout process, reordering, if the customer will definitely edit an order, then we can look at KPI. How many times are they doing this? How do we identify it? How do we then track that usage? If, for example, we have 200 users in one hour, the order, we want to know why and what happens next. If we don't understand what happens next, we could lose a server. Something goes down, we don't understand it. So KPI is a good way to track and we can also attach that to automation. We might be able to send an alert to the client 
or to developers, even to QA, just to alert them that this action has happened, we need to make sure nothing goes down. On the opposite side, we can also look at why there are no orders. If there's a trend in development where all of a sudden there's no server activity, that's something to worry about. So we can track this, automate it. We can make it easier for QA to jump in, test, make sure there's no actual issues on the platform. So this is something people never really look at, but it's something that you can track internally. So normally, you don't want to put pros and cons. You just want pros. It's nice to see the good stuff. But there's always pros and cons in everything. So as a business, you want to see you know, things like you can catch performance issues. Right? So when you develop a product, you push it out there, you track. If you use AWS in this example, you want to catch performance issues before it becomes an issue. You want to see things that are latent. You want to see error codes popping up. These error codes might be a one-time thing. However, if you have tracking, if you look at the automation process, you flag this. We use uh, Slack on our uh, development process, so we can actually have this come into our Slack channel, notify the entire team that maybe there's something going on here. So it's good uh, to actually do this process. The ability to optimize quickly. This is something a lot of teams don't do. They don't optimize. They don't come back and see areas of improvement. When we say ability to optimize quickly, we want to look at statistically, this process happens a lot. If we have a way of tracking this and telling you as a team or possibly the, even the product manager, this issue occurs quite a lot, we need to simplify the process. We need to notify you before it becomes a larger issue or before a lot more people start using this process. We can use the KPIs from before and we can use insights as well from AWS to actually look at these areas of contention, areas where people slow down. Uh, reduce costs, everybody likes this one. Save money. If we are able to notify you that there's a problem, you can go in, fix it, release, no issue. You are saving the customer from having an issue. You are saving the client from having loss of business. We are also able to catch it, which means that we can put that in the business process, the development process, before we need to stop, plan it, and push it forward. An example would be if a server is constantly trying to scale, that's a cost, right? AWS will charge you, we go through the roof if we don't know that this is scaled. So if we're able to catch that first, we can adjust the problem, push a hot fix, and we've just saved ourselves some money. The client saves themselves issue, and the customer never knows it's happened. Now, this load handling and scaling automation is something we've, myself and Giorgio, have recently dived into. Um, as some of you might know, load handling is uh, quite an interesting topic. It's a separate workshop. But this basically allows you to direct traffic and balance out the website. If you have multiple entries into this website, this will save you a lot of money. You might not need to scale. You might need to scale in you know, one way or another. If we set up a business process where we can track what's going on, if we can track issues, if we can understand what's really happening by looking at the insight setting KPIs, 
creating thresholds using multiple tools, there's endless tools, then we can actually catch these things and save money, start handling the traffic as we need. And again, this all results in a successful business, but it also results in a successful development cycle as well. Less time to develop, less issues, less bugs. The cons of it, though, is uh, time and cost to set up. So it's something you have to consider that it will take time. Costs, that depends on exactly what you're doing. Time and cost to train. So that would be looking at staff. How do we get the staff that we have in our development? And how do we make sure we utilize them properly? So you have to look at team talent, or you also have to look at how we utilize the software and platform within the team as well. And then it requires constant monitoring. I put this in the cons column, but it's actually probably a pros as well because you're constantly looking at other ways you can redevelop this process, right? So if we have a website where you've got 10,000 people come in in the first week to place orders, and it might be a three-month cycle for that product to reach the customer, we can look at what's going on before and after and use the part in between to develop and push. So we're looking at the, the system on a regular basis where we know in the next cycle maybe we can improve something, make it even faster for them and reliable. But how do we do it? Nobody explains how we do this process. Now, I read a book the other day. Roy gave it to me. And it's kind of changed my thinking a little teeny bit about how we actually do these things. So the first thing I took from the book was the fact that you have to research. But not just research, you've got to re-research. There's a lot of automation you can do where we think that we've tagged this thing, right? We understand what the problem is in the, the system, but we don't understand how to connect the dots, right? So you have the tracking system. You understand that this is a problem, but how do you look back at this process and then engage with that? So in this example, we have to understand how it works. So that's understanding the platform, understanding how we actually engage with it, and then how do we integrate that into their daily lives. For us, we're looking at things like Slack, simple. Something goes wrong, pops up in Slack, easy. The second thing, you can look at how do you integrate that into a warning system first. So not just pop it up in Slack, but send it out to other people in the team, if there's a performance issue on a server where multiple websites have been affected, how do we then distribute that to management? So research is essential. You've got to look at your process and look at it again and understand where you can improve it. Workshops, retrospectives. So we have uh, retrospectives, like everyone else. Discoveries, specific automation workshops. We need to understand from the development team specifically what they can do to implement some sort of flow, some sort of process. And again, we have, I think, one of the endpoints uh, that we custom built for a client in Project X, where we're looking at stock levels. We created an endpoint, we put it into a spreadsheet, Google Sheets, and all this does is notify the client when stock gets to a certain point. We can use this to quickly notify them as a step one process in order to you know, have them take action over their stock until we get to a point where it's automated for them. We discovered this through workshops. 
after talking to them, we had three, four workshops about stock and what they actually need as an output. So workshops, they're underused. They are extremely valuable. We have to also measure the output versus the effort. In some scenarios, you will assume that it's great to measure something. You have this tool. You have the means to do it. You have the budget. But then it doesn't actually make sense to track it because it might not be the actual thing you need to track to get the output you want. We assume if the server goes down, you want to get notified via an email. Or if even the server is a thing you want to track. You might want to track an event instead. It might be an order creation process. And in our example, we've had multiple um, scenarios where we've tracked different events because we know that connects to other things in the system. So you don't need to track everything, but you have to measure if it's the thing you want versus the effort to actually implement it. Is it really worthwhile? And data. Yes, we can track data internally for us. We can track data that we use. We can track data that is generated by usage of the website and how we connect it to our systems. So if you look at this one at the end here, how much time was used to perform an action multiple times? This is a good example of being able to look at something using normal analytical tracking, turn it into a flow so that we can track that's happened and if it's going to be a problem. An ordering process is a good example, and a cancellation process is also a great example for us. We can trigger this update to know if there's a high flux of traffic or if it dips the opposite way around. There might be a server issue. There might be you know, four or five codes. There might be something else going down that we have no idea about until we're notified by this system. And time. Everybody needs time. So things don't always happen when we need them. We have to plan, we have to organize, and we have to take our time to understand everything from above, but we also have to understand how long it takes to do these automations. The whole concept of being able to track a process, to be able to connect from one system to the other, it takes time to make it work. It takes time to also understand how the output can change the team. One of the things we don't understand on a daily basis is why things happen, right? We understand it's gone down. We understand the error code. We understand that we can get it back up and running. But taking time to analyze on a regular basis to also plan it the right way will give us more information and the output we need to make sure the flow and the automation process gives us what we need to make sure it never happens again. So there's plenty of tools, but some of the tools that we've used to integrate is Power BI. So this is a system, everybody assumes it's just for customers. It's used for ourselves as well. So we can use Power BI to create a report, to track usage internally, to understand if there's a lot of load being put on one endpoint versus a second endpoint. If, for example, staff are busy creating orders, but they're never actually busy editing orders, we can look at how we distribute that load, right? Power BI also allows us to create automatic reporting systems. So we can generate reports when something happens that shouldn't happen, and then we can add that into the customer's flow themselves 
so that they understand what's happening and then we get a report so we understand when we need to fix something. Google 360 is a nice one. Again, we can utilize it internally too. Google 360 allows us to quickly track an event. We can use it to track events, flows, and segments when we know that there's a problem. We can track it. We can output that into anything we want. It gives, it, uh, gives us the advantage of making it into an alert or into something like Slack. Google 360 is a, a new tool for us. So we will be trying our hardest, hopefully, to uh, do a couple of workshops on how we internally at Seven Peaks can utilize this for process automation. So we need to understand on some of our projects how we utilize this more. But essentially, it's the same as uh, Power BI where we can create segments, identify them, understand what we do, and output. And Jira, development as finest here. I <laughs> I don't like Jira, but I use it, and it's fun to uh, automate with. Jira has automation flows. They have automation processes where we can track when a report comes back from Bitbucket. When we push something to, say, testing platforms using Rails, or if we want to push to GitHub, Gits, or anything else we're using. That sounds like it's a very development process. However, as a PM, this makes perfect sense. If someone pushes something to the server and it crashes, we need to understand what it was that we were doing. We need to understand the code that was used, and we need to understand how we fix this as quick as possible. In a couple of scenarios this week, we've pushed a few things, and uh, we knew instantly because we have a tracking. We integrate with Jira, we integrate with Bitbucket, we integrate with Jenkins, and we also have an output on AWS where we can go in, we can look at insights, we can pull the code, and we know exactly where that happened and when. This allows us to quickly develop, this allows us to review exactly what it was that went wrong. In most cases, our QA now are also integrated into this process where they can actually pull out instances and we can go in, we can rewind that process and see okay, there's four different things that happened here and two different systems that happened too, and track that back and fix it. This is essential for making sure we debug our process, our system, and the product. We can then move things backwards, fix it, and we can make sure, hopefully, it never happens again. Hopefully. I'll buy this one in here. This is nice for PMs. Money.com. Justin? <laughs> We've been trying to uh, test money.com uh, internally in a small team just to see exactly how we can automate the PM process. Now, money.com is used only for PM process, for delegation of tasks, and for understanding workload in general. That plays a big part in how we automate the entire development cycle and how we build the, pro the product for the customer. If I plan a sprint, and it makes no sense, the developers can review it. They can leave comments. They can then move things and add tickets that make sense to them. And we can automate that into Jira and assign that to a developer or to QA. And then we can also get the output back when they push. It's just a nice way for us to keep track on if there's something wrong, if there's something that we need to update, 
especially if we're pushing and something breaks. And a very long list of tools. There is an endless amount of tools. And this is why I always tell people we have to research exactly how we automate anything we do in the system. Process automation is all about reviewing what we do. It's all about making sure that we can cut down on the amount of effort it takes to actually do something and make sure it's more accurate. So I've typed this up, but essentially, um, the longer you have a project, the longer you build on one system, the more essential automating something becomes. And again, we're not talking about robots, we're not talking about you know, business integrations here, we're talking purely about looking at things that happen. And if we can say to someone, we don't need you to do that every single day, we can get the system to do that and make sure you can be utilized in some other way. It's a win for the business, it's a win for us, it's a win for the end user, which is the customer. It means that we can be more accurate. It means we can be on point and spend our time actually developing the product. It's difficult. We need to understand what it is, and we also need to document what it is. So while people, I think that we've had a couple of clients before where we say to them about we, we can do this process. We can automate our entire QA process. We can automate integration. We can automate anything else. And they always say, like, what's the cost and why is it so difficult to do it? Why is it going to take you three weeks? And the answer is basically, it's going to take time. We need to review process. We need to make sure when we do it, it's done right. But it's worth the effort. Because eventually, if you're on a long project, this will save you time, money. It'll make sure that the product is as good as it can be. It mitigates and reduces risk. And I think this is a selling point everyone should take note of. If you can build a product where the accuracy of the build, the accuracy of the product, and selling it to not only your users, but also to other businesses, your business partners, your CTO, your CEO, if you can tell them, this product now, we're developing it, it's 8% accurate development process. What does that mean? That basically means when we develop something, we have a high confidence in the product. We have the high confidence in the code. The software now becomes a low-risk product. We can develop a lot longer, we can develop a lot faster, and we can also make sure that the product never actually crashes. And it makes your team happy. Everybody's happy when we do this. When you tell your boss, ah, we saved $200 this month just because we changed this one process and we never have to do it, it tells us that there's something wrong here, then we're going to save some money. Hopefully it'll be $2,000, but Yep. But the whole idea of automating a process just comes down to common sense and making sure that you understand the product you're building and you make sure you build a way to catch the problems before it becomes a problem. And that is me. But I think we should have a, a second session at some point in the future where we dig deeper into the actual process itself. So this is a continuity of the talk after the cloud uh, migration. So serverless and container. So this talk is not about uh, migrating all your VMs into containers and serverless. 
It's just if the requirements needs to list to container and serverless, you will have the tools and the metrics to see if you need to do it. Because in some way, VM is the solution. <laughs> so I'm Nicolas Pierson, so solution architect working at Seven Peaks. So I like hiking, so if some people want to discuss about hiking, going in the mountains, and uh, sleeping. <laughs> Just talk about it's me. So first, what is containerization and what is serverless? So on the left side, you see YAS, CAS, PASS, and FAST. So it's always four letters. So on the left side, it's infrastructure as code, container as, co uh, container as a service, platform as a service, is function as a service. So when we are talking about VM, it's on the infrastructure as a service on the, on the left. So what you manage, what you're managing on the infrastructure as a service is the virtualization and the hardware. So everything that is above the OS, container, runtime, application, function is on you. So basically you are managing a lot of things. Maybe you need it, maybe you don't need it. So when you probably you say, okay, maybe I don't want to manage the OS, I don't want to manage my Linux server, I don't want to manage my Windows server, what I just want is a node environment. So maybe let's put my application in a container and then I will just manage my runtime application and the code. In the middle, we have a platform as a service, which can on AWS is um, Elastic Beanstalk. So they will provision for you a VM, setup node, you will still have access to the OS, but um, yeah, a solution in between. And the last one is a function as a service. So this one, you don't manage anything except your code. So you just say, I want Node, Java, or C Sharp. You put your code, and they take care of everything for you. Your runtime, container, OS, virtualization, and hardware. And um, you can see also that the security will be impacted. So when you are managing your OS, you need to patch your Linux server yourself. And you need to deploy it and see if it's working, doing the QA and everything. On a function, you just need to manage the security on your code, which is like a small piece of code. So you spend less time doing the some jobs that maybe you don't need to do. So if you bring this to the cloud, so you can do YAS, PASS, SAS, and function on your on-premise um, data center. But what is really interesting is to put this in the cloud, to be cloud native. So AWS Azure, Alibaba, or Google Cloud, they provide some common tools for all the services, which are modularity, operability, elasticity, and resiliency. So they have a big data center, so they can provide this for you by default. You don't need to do it. So the more you go on the function side, basically, they will take care of more things for you. So when you put your code, they will be able to spin up 1,000 functions for you. And you don't have to do auto-scale, or you don't have to take care of these things, because when a call will hit a function, they will, spin, they will spin up a new container with a function inside. And you don't have to say, 
oh, if my CPU reach 80%, I need to scale. In a container, you need to do this. In a container, you need to say, oh, if there is something that each a threshold, for example, I have too many read writes or I have too many CPU consumption, I need to auto-scale. So the more you go on the function part, the less you have to manage, but you lose in the configuration. So the big question is, if you move from VM to container or, or to serverless, can you deliver faster to your production environment? Can you bring more value to your customer or can you bring more value for your product? So if you split, for example, your VM into small services, into small containers, you will be able to just make small modifications in a part of your system. And you will have more agility to deploy this bug fix. And uh, it will be also easier for the developer to update this. You also remove everything that is server-side configuration, deployment, and provisioning, because it's taken care by the service uh, cloud provider. And then all the services that is provided by default will come to you. So then serverless or container? It's always a, a big question. Because one is like a really tiny bit of code. The function is really a small piece of code. But you will have a lot of to manage. If you put in a container, you can, you can put a bigger bunch of code. So serverless is really like if you want to deploy something really quick, you just want to, for example, get something from the database. You just put your function in the attribute. You just say what you want in, and you just query the database, and you return. Actually, it takes 15 minutes if you know how to do it. And you can have an, a rest endpoint. But the downside of this is like serverless, they just provide you a limit set of run times. So you, for example, if you want now on AWS, we have a JavaScript, uh, C Sharp, I forgot, uh, Python, and Java. Yeah. And uh, if you want to run Ruby on Rails or Ruby code, it cannot. Or you need to use some adapter. So you are kind of limited on the language that you want to use. But it provides some value. And the last point is more some skills, actually. that it's When you set up a serverless function, the way how you structure your application will be different as a monolithic. Because as a monolithic, we know how to do it for 20 years. We just set up a big bunch of code, controller, services, and entity layer. But in a function, what you want to is to put a, just a simple piece of code that will run the fastest as possible. On the container side, what it will help, it will remove the management of the operating system. But you will still need to install on your Docker image your node and to patch it. But you will have less to manage. And need more configuration. The second point is how is it, to how is it is easy to scale? So now that you are in a cloud, the point is you want to be able to reach like one user or 1,000 users or 1 million users. So as the code is a little bit less than a VM, 
on serverless and container, you have more agility to scale and scale up and scale down. For example, before you put all your code in one VM, but maybe some users are using one function, one one API one API endpoint in your VM, but you need to scale your entire VM to to serve all your users. So here, what you can do is just say, oh. I separated my only f the function that is only used by everybody, so I can just scale the little bit function, and the rest will stay the same. And it's easy to manage and provision because take care by AWS. But you will have a downside, which is a call start. So each time a function is called, maybe we reuse a previous function instance, or maybe we'll try to spin up a new one, and it needs to spin up the uh, runtime with it. On the other side, the container. So on the container, you don't have any call start, so it's ready to use. You can call. But you need to configure the scaling part manually and to say which are the metrics that you want to use to scale. So more configuration on the container side. But the response time is faster than the function. The last one is the cost. So what we are trying to save here is if we can scale more easily and just scale the piece of code that we need to serve our user, normally we will only scale up what is used on our platform. So if nobody is using our platform, we will not scale up and we'll just put everything to the minimum as possible. Or we'll just scale up the little bit of function that needs to be. And the security is improved by default by the container or by the function. So this one is a functionality provided by Azure, AWS, or the cloud service provider. So the billing model on the serverless, what is really interesting also is you pay as you go. So like Georgia said, so if you have an application, you have three calls during the day because it's a back office application. You don't want to pay a VM, you don't want to pay $50 a month for a VM that someone used just one, uh, maybe five minutes a day. So what you can do is to set up a serverless function one is called, you pay, and uh, that's it. Simple. And you need, and this way, this will also help you to focus on your functionality and not about setting the infrastructure, the VM, the networking, and everything. You just push your code. On the other side, for the container, you can, like Georgia said, you can just. They will just spin up one VM for you, but you will not see it. And they will put as many Docker images, Docker instance on this, on this VM. So they will try to reuse and to maximize the usage of the VM. And the downside is like you will still need to configure this. So just to give you some <laughs> metrics, so maybe it will help you to consider or not function. So half of global enterprise will have deployed function uh, by 2025. So some big companies are seeing the value in using the function because it's light and maybe for some workloads makes sense because you just implement an endpoint but it's used one per day. So, so what, I don't have to pay any VM, so it's, it's really good to use. And on the other side, because we have some clients that are using function 
for that serve millions of requests per second. And this also could be really interesting because they don't want to manage the infrastructure or they want to ma don't want to manage the scaling. So function answer to this because function you don't need to say which parameter you want to use for auto scaling. So for each request, it will spin up a new function. It will scale automatically for you. For the container, it's the same. But here, actually, here is more prominent. So the default choice for 75% of new customer enterprise application by 2024. So I think by default, most of the customer will go for container first because they don't want to manage anymore the VM. They want to still have customer in time, but they want to offload some work. So that's why 75% 2024. And 75% uh, of large enterprise in military economy. So the question is, in which case you prefer to use container and in which case you prefer to use serverless? So like, so this one is, I want to be able to serve a customer with a API response, with a API, uh, with an API. But I know that this API will be used maybe 10 times a day. And I have a limit, really limited budget for my application. <laughs> so what can I do? It's just to set up on AWS an API gateway and to set up a Lambda. So I just put my code and it's called one or twice a day. If you do this, uh, if you remember on the serverless side, we have a call start. So each time you spin up a new function, it will take a little bit of time. But the client client said, I don't want to pay. I can, I can wait three seconds for each call, so why not? <laughs> so maybe in this case, if, the, if, the, if your customer is agrees on, okay, I want to spend less, less cost on the platform and I'm willing to wait three seconds, maybe makes sense. And after, there is some mechanism that you can do is to put maybe your request into a queue and do your background jump later. So you will not have to wait too long. The second one is for lift and shift. So for containers, so what is really good about containers is like you bring your runtime with you. You bring everything that is related to the application with your container. So they choose in this solution to have like a responsive API. So this is a CDN, so content delivery network, and this is a load balancer. And here you have the, the compute part with the containers. So on AWS, there is a service called Fargate. So Fargate is a serverless um, service. So you don't say how many VM you want. You just say, I want 500 megabytes of RAM and one vCPU and they will provide this you they, they will provide this for you and they will scale automatically so this allow the user of this application to have a fast response time because no call start and uh, it's easy to lift and shift because you just put your container somewhere else the last one i don't know if uh, <laughs> So the last one is on Azure. So 
serverless is also good for background task. So we have the call start, but if we have something to do in the back, we can say, okay, I wait three seconds. I don't care because it's a background task, and I need I will process it later. So for this application, we have the same concept as uh, before. So you have a API gateway where your endpoints are exposed. You have some functions, so to expose the uh, API endpoints, and they store some information in the database. And then you can see here, there is uh, something called third parties. So apparently we are trying to inject some data to the database, and this process is done like every day at 5 a.m. And here that you can see, Data Factory is a service that ingests a lot of data. But when you have a small amount of, yeah, this one normally ingests a lot of data. So what they do is they put a cluster of Spark and or whatever, Hive, some big data tools to ingest your data. But sometimes we just have a small amount of data to import in the DB. So what we use is a Lambda function, is a Azure function to import the data. And this process can take five minutes to load the data. And you don't care about the call start, and the import is running every day at 5 a.m. So you don't need to pay a VM 24-7 for a job that is just once a day. So that's it.